Whenever I visit France, I always see lots of top bottles for sale, but when I get back home, those same bottles can be much harder to find, if not impossible. That's why I use IdealWine.com. At IdealWine.com, I can buy wines directly from France for delivery directly to my home. They have new auctions every week, and the fixed price selection is equally awesome. Clos Rouchard, Chateau Reyes, and Ulysse Colon, as well as many more greats from all over France, are regularly available on the website. Best of all, it is simple and hassle-free to buy them. Ideal Wine handles all the customs and logistics hurdles for you and for me. Wines are ordered with a couple of clicks, and then they arrive. It is simple. Check out IdealWine.com for more information. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com to find what you'd like to be drinking. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. Craig Perman on the show. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So you run a shop called Perman Selections in Chicago? Yep. Perman Wine Selections in the West Loop of Chicago. But how did you get there? You were uh, you're from Chicago, but you had moved to Portland to go to college. Yeah. B- born in Chicago. actually grew up in a northern suburb called Highland Park and decided uh, when I was looking at universities that I wanted to get away. You know, I didn't want to go to the same Midwest schools as everybody else. So I was actually looking to do journalism school. And University of Oregon is the school that I chose, and they have a really good journalism school. So I wound up on the West Coast as a duck. So It was in Portland you started to kind of get involved with restaurants. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, I got out of school and my major was actually turned out to be political science with a minor in planning, public policy and management. And I didn't really want to go to law school. I didn't want to go to graduate school at the time. I needed a job. You know, I grew up, my parents actually didn't really even drink wine when I was growing up. You know, they, you know, when they went out, they'd have a beer or a cocktail or something like that, but really not that much drinking in the household. And so, uh, but we, they had always loved to go to restaurants and we used to come downtown Chicago every weekend, you know, once or twice a weekend, go to new restaurants and things like that. So I always had that in me. So I think I, I after school, I'm like, okay, I'm going to get a job in a restaurant, see how it is. I actually started as an AM host in a, a restaurant called the Heathman Restaurant. It was also a hotel. And so uh, I had to get there at 530 in the morning, which I'm not that big of a morning person, but I still still got up and did it. And the way it worked was I, I'd get off since I started so early. I'd get off at probably 2.30 when a lot of the wine deliveries were coming in. And the, the sommelier at the time said, hey, can you help me put away some wine? And I did. And I actually just started reading about wine and and tasting great wines because they had a really nice cellar. And uh, I just kind of got got involved that way, kind of fell into it. So There was a retail connection. That- That's right. Yeah. My, my girlfriend at the time, she, and it's kind of a mixed up connection, but she was working at this PR company that was also involved with this wine store. And so I got wine at cost because she was my girlfriend, which uh, was a good relationship. And... Um, 
you know, I, I just start going into this store and there was a guy named Brian Shuttleworth, who is one of my good friends and and my wine mentor. And I think everybody needs a, a wine mentor when they get started in the business. Uh, I started talking with him all the time. You know, we'd, we'd stand in the back room and talk for an hour, hour and a half about wine. And uh, he invited me on a trip that he was going to take, which now has come a reg- become a regular part of my life, these wine trips. But a trip that I was going to, that he was going to take to France, this was in 2000. Uh, we were going to spend three weeks in Appalachians like Chateauneuf and the Northern Rhone and Beaujolais and Burgundy and Alsace. And so I went on this trip with him. And that really was kind of the, for me, the big turning point, the, the, you know, the light bulbs went off at that point. And I'm like, this is, this is the best thing ever. Cause I, I'd read so much about these producers in my first visit going into Chateau Reyes and, and, uh, you know, going to, uh, Dujac and going to Rousseau and, uh, going to all these producers that I'd read so much about and getting a chance to taste out a barrel. That was really, that just kind of did it for me. And that was kind of the start. I think the thing that I like the best about this business is my relationships with the producers. You know, I really, you know, I could never be a winemaker. I could never be, uh, you know, in the vineyards. I mean, I think that uh, it's not something that would speak to what I like to do because I love to sell wine. But it's just, I understand the incredible amount of work that goes into it. And so for me, just making those connections along the way through the years, that's what, that was what was really so, so important to me. So it was a great trip overall. I mean, you know, I still remember almost every detail of that trip. And Because it does seem like a short evolution. I mean, here you are, AM host at a restaurant, you're putting wine away, you work at a grocery store, putting wine away for a bit, and then... All of a sudden, you're at Reyes. I mean, I mean, obviously, your friend really helped you, kind of, of brought you along there. Yeah, that's that's the mentor thing. And you know, I mean, I think in my personality, you know, when I'm into something, I'm really into it. You know, I'm all the way in. And so, yeah, it was super quick in terms of the evolution of you know me starting as a host and then starting to you know serve and manage and bartend and do all these things because I really did everything at the Heathman at some point or another. Yeah, it was just, I just put everything into it. I mean, you know, my days now are, they, they just, you know, I have two kids, wife, two kids. So obviously that, that uh, I love spending time with them. But aside from spending time with them, the rest of really what I do is wine focused, talking about wine and, and restaurant focused too. I mean, I still talk with a lot of my friends in restaurants and still consult on uh, a couple lists. And, and so it's really, it's just so focused on, the, and, and it has been for my entire career. And you ended up back in Chicago. Yep. I moved back here just because, uh, you know, I wanted to be closer to my parents. So, you know, I'd only getting home once a year at that point. And uh, so I moved back to Chicago. I think that was in 2003. Before I left Portland, I had got a job at Sam's Wine and Spirits, which was, you know, one of the largest retailers in the United States. So I had a job as soon as I moved back to Chicago. And I'd only worked oh, I in... See. I thought that's a tough commute. <laughs> that's a tough, tough commute, right? Yeah, that would have been a long flight. But, you know, I just, you know, essentially I, I wanted to make sure that there was something in Chicago something for me befo- for before yeah. I left. And so uh, it was going to be a good experience, I felt, working in a larger retail. Even though I love small retail, I knew that about working at the cellar door in Portland, that I loved small retail. But I wanted to experience kind of both sides. And it was really, I think, an important moment in my life what to experience. What was the change was huge. I mean, you know, obviously I wasn't buying per se, 
At a big store like that, there's usually one or two or three buyers. You know, Sam's in those days, they had a, a head wine buyer, Todd Hess, who's actually a uh, owns a distribution company in Chicago. And then they had essentially people that worked the different departments that were involved in, in buying. So they definitely did have uh, a say uh, as well. But, you know, it was, you know, I don't want to say hard not you know, pulling the trigger and making the decisions because we had so much good wine at that store to sell. But it was, for me, an important step because I really got to know kind of the ins and outs of the Chicago, the business of Chicago wine, which is a story in itself. You know, getting to meet the players, the distributors, that was really important in terms of, you know, where I am today. So it was uh, it was really a, a great experience. I mean, I didn't like it, obviously, because I left. I would have stayed there if, if I, I loved it. But I decided that large retail wasn't for me and that I think it's, you know... What didn't you like about it? Well, I think the big thing about, you know, retail, uh, whether it's wine or anything else, is the fact that, you know, you fill up uh, your store and then the person that comes in, you sell them that's that's something in that store uh, because you have to move it, you have to turn inventory. And wine is such a personal, personal thing. And the wine world is so big. I mean, especially now today, even more than when I was at Sam's, uh, there's just so many wines and so many great wineries out there that, you know, if somebody comes in and they they want a Brunello de Montalcino from uh, Soldera and you don't have it, well, you have 50 other great Brunellos, but you didn't have the one that they wanted. Or if you have a Chateauneuf de Pop that, you know, that somebody wants a, you know, a more kind of of elegant style and you you know your wine buyer at the time is into the kind of power side of Chateauneuf then you don't have exactly what they're looking for but yet you're still selling them something because that's you know that's what you do so you know I felt to me like it was just not the right way to do it. I'd rather be in a small store where, you know, if you don't have what they want, you say, you know, listen, I don't have exactly what you want, but I tasted this, 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 and I can get it for you. Probably be here tomorrow or the next day. So obviously there's different sides to our retail business. There's the side where people need a bottle right then, right there. And that's probably the majority. But in the world of kind of fine wine retail, it's almost better to work a little backwards and say, okay, what do you need first? And then bring it in. So at my store today, you know, yes, I take a position on wines. Yes, I have a lot of, you know, not a lot of wine in the store. I probably have a couple hundred selections uh, and not cases of cases in the back. You know, I always say I feel comfortable with that within a year I could drink everything in my inventory by myself. So I'm not so worried about burning stuff or about selling stuff. It's more for me just trying to get what people like and what they're, uh, they're passionate about and getting the right wine in their hands. And so that's kind of one of the things that I learned about that experience was that you know, why do it this way? I mean, there's times when I sit at my store, I'm like, oh, I should have, you know, more, more wine, more. And then I always pull myself back because I'm like, what would be the point? You know, wine's just about, you know, people are always, the consumer's always on to the next thing, right? So if you have, you know, what you feel is a great selection, but, you know, you don't sell it so fast and then people are into the kind of the next thing, then, you know, you, you have to push it out somehow. So that's, Today in my retail store, a little bit how I work, a little bit backwards like that, find out what people want first, and then kind of uh, bring it in based on what they want. So it sounds like the downside of big retail is that you have a lot of tied up inventory and you start feeling pressures to move things 
And that doesn't always match what the customer is asking for. Absolutely. And also, I mean, you know, as I said earlier, I have great reverence for what winemakers do and, and their team. And the hardest part, you know, and of course, everybody loves a deal, right? But it's really difficult to see wines blasted out on sale for, you know, lower than cost. And, you know, you see that a lot in our business where an ex-importer and the, you know, winery split and then, you know, they do a fire sale, try to kill the brand or whatever. I know, I just, I don't really like that. And I know today people don't really build brands or, or try to worry so much about that. But if you really respect what's going on in wine, I have a hard time. And that's not to say that I don't ever take advantage of good deals in my store, but at least I'm there to say, hey, this is a great deal. It's not normally this price, and it's worth that price normally, but you know, it's moving through. And so I do take advantage of deals, but I just didn't like seeing that. I mean, at Sam's, we had these huge warehouse sales, and you know, it was just uh, it was great for the consumer. And I and I, I do believe that the consumer should get the best you know, deal possible, but they also kind of have to understand that that there's a reason why things cost the way they do. The real cost, you know, you see in Chicago, we had a uh, an importer, Vindovino, they they went out and, and they were selling all this Austrian and German stuff. And you could find at some, you know, of the discount retailers, bottles of, you know, top, top Gruner Veltliner, maybe off vintage, and maybe it wasn't stored in great, great condition, but for $4 a bottle. Okay, listen, Vakao, Smart, it's not $4 a bottle. It's never going to be $4 a bottle. If you go there and you see it, that's that's impossible. And so, you know, well, it's, you know, good in certain respects for the consumer. I just, I, in my heart, I didn't really like that so much. I didn't like seeing that. And uh, still to this day, I, I tend to try to be really careful about about that. And just, you know, if I'm going to have some sort of a deal or, or something like that, take advantage of something happening, then I'm at least going to tell people about it. And I'm also going to support that wine when it's back up to the regular price too. Because that's, you know, if I really am passionate about that wine, then I'm going to do that. And have you found that consumers are willing to perhaps pay a little bit more if it means more power for a specific specifically getting what they want. Like if they have the ability to say to you, hey, well, you know, I want to do that special order that maybe a bigger retailer that's sitting on a lot of stock would be resistant to do. Right. Are they then willing to pay that extra bit that means that you're not taking that huge drop on it? Right. You know, because you're not going to take the 50 cases to fill their Absolutely. one case order, but maybe they're willing to pay a few dollars more with the flexibility that you're going to order it for them. Yeah, my customers I think for sure. And I'm, you know, I'm still in the ballpark. Let's let's put it that way. You know, I have people call me sometime and I had, you know, somebody call me this is for a spirit uh this week Lagavulin in 16 and there was just no, you know, he was going to be able to get it for a lot lot less and I just I turned down the business. I said, "Listen, I I love your business in the future. I really respect that you reached out to me, but you know, in all, you know, in my conscience, I can't say, get it from me, get it from this person. And I gave him the larger retailer's name. You know, I think, so I'm always in the ballpark, first of all. And second of all, yes, I mean, you know, in retail, not everybody can be your your customer. I mean, you know, if you're a mega giant corporation, sure, maybe you're going after, maybe you say everybody is our target customer. But I think in, in my world, I, you know, when I started the store, I'm like, okay, what do I need to really make this happen? Well, you know, 
for a small retailer, you know, figure wise, you want to try to get close to a million dollars for if you're going to have, you know, probably three people working with you or uh, some somewhere around there. And and that's kind of where we've been trying to go with my store. Okay, well, if you have a thousand customers who spend a hundred dollars a month, you're right there. You know, you're over. You're one point two. So. I knew that I wasn't trying to go for the whole whole world. I was just trying to go for people that, you know, really were happy for me to, you know, give them advice and and understand that you need in this business somebody looking out for you. You really do. I mean, even if you're a super savvy buyer and and I have a lot of really savvy buyers, it's really good to have somebody look out for you who has your best interest at heart. And I do with my customers. And maybe that doesn't make me the world's best business person per se, but I, I'm doing okay. And, and uh, I've, got, I've got some customers, so something, something's right in the world, I guess. I've often found that looking out for customers is often more of a restaurant perspective. And you, you worked in some restaurants after Sam's and before you started your shop. How did you see that evolution affecting your current viewpoint? Well, I, you know, I was, I was really, really lucky because, you know, when I was, and I say lucky because I, I knew nothing, nothing about this job opportunity and a friend of mine was going for it. My friend Steven said to me, hey, you should apply at this restaurant because uh, I was trying to open up my retail store, but I didn't want to do it while working at Sam's. And so I was looking for a restaurant job. And so uh, Steven said, hey, you know, there's this restaurant that's called Linea. It just opened in May. This was about, you know, July, August at the time. You know, maybe you should uh, apply as well. And so I did. And I hadn't, you know, served in a few years. And to be quite honest, I'm, I'm not the best server in the entire world anyway. Uh, but, you know, for what that experience was, I actually fit in really, really well. And so I got back into the business at obviously a restaurant that a lot of people in the world know about because it's one of the best in the world and certainly, uh, you know, one of the best in the United States. And uh, it was a great experience for me. I mean, really, you know, that level of service, I mean, you know, uh, Chef Ackett's, I mean, he's such a, uh, he's so dedicated. I mean, I, you know, I was often there really, really late each night. Most people had gone home and maybe it was myself and the general manager at the time, Joe Catterson, and, you know, chef would be there, you know, working on his computer at 3.30 in the morning, thinking of ideas and, and stuff like that. And that hard work and that attention to detail and and what, you know, wh- what was instilled in us in terms of just trying to give the absolute maximum experience, you know, that was uh, definitely a, a character builder and definitely part of, you know, m- my, uh, you know, who I am as a, as a retailer today. And, you know, I, I left Alinea because it, it really was a full-time job and I was, you know, so focused on it that I really wasn't focused on trying to get the store open. I was doing a little bit, but maybe not as much as I, I should have. And so they I left. Full and full commitment. For yeah, that full commitment. You have to be 100%. You know, they only hire full-time employees. And that's... Not a lot of restaurants do. A lot of restaurants have part timers and stuff like that. You just got to be all in when you're when you're in a, a restaurant like that. And so, you know, I, I left and uh, still have a great relationship with everybody today and talk to those guys. And and Chef's been an amazing supporter of the store and Nick Kakonis and they they've been and all you know and actually a lot of their sommeliers now and you know they've all been just so supportive of my business. I have a lot of people from their restaurants next to Millennia that come in and shop at 
at my store, which I'm super proud that I have lots of industry people that come in and and shop in my store. So, but I left and I worked at a restaurant called uh, Butter at the time, and uh, it was not, you know, I had a friend that was working there, and it wasn't, you know, a great great restaurant from a you know a, the business side, but there was some super amazing chefs that worked there. I got a chance to work with Ryan Poli and Lee Wolin and Gaetano Narduli, who are all great chefs. And it was just a, from that, you know, again, it built my kind of web of, of, uh, you know, network. And uh, then after that, I went to uh, work with the Blackbird, Avec, you know, one-off hospitality, Paul Kahn, Donnie Medea. I can't say enough good things about those guys. I mean, Paul, when I opened my store, essentially called everybody he knew, his, you know, his childhood friend, uh, his wife's brother, uh, everybody and said, hey, you're shopping here. And uh, that was really important, especially in the early days of my store, to have such great, you know, support. And working with with One Off and working at Blackbird and Avec, which are institutions in Chicago, you know, they too have that same level. It's just in a a different approach. You know, it's kind of in a more laid back approach. But you know, everybody that works for them also is super dedicated to customer happiness and satisfaction. And so it's just, you know, kind of a different kind of approach. But uh, those were those were really important moments in my retail career, I say, because without working at those restaurants, I don't think my store would be as successful as it has been in the first few years. I, I just don't think that would have been possible. So It seems like the chef community in Chicago is uh, pretty supportive of chefs and other people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I don't I think, you know, there is a competitive nature in Chicago, but you know, I think for the most part uh, there are a lot of people that, you know, share ideas and and uh, everybody seems to be willing to help each other and and uh, you know, so it is a pretty close-knit community. I mean, I, I really feel like Chicago, it's a great restaurant, great 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 restaurant scene in Chicago. Uh, but uh, yeah, the chefs seem pretty pretty tight together, so. If I had never met Paul Kahn or Grant Atkins. I mean, what should I know about them? Coming uh, from a former employee, what'd you see? Both great guys, both different personalities. You know, Chef Atkins, again, super, super driven, amazingly creative. You know, it's weird to think that we're about the same age. And um, just to see that focus and that level of commitment. And he's actually, you know, the thing to know about uh, Chef Ackett's, because, you know, a lot of times, you know, in those three Michelin star restaurants, you expect chefs that are like super, you know, yelling at the staff or whatever. And I'm not saying that he doesn't write, run a tight ship for sure, but he's got a great sense of humor. I mean, I we always had a lot of laughs when I was there. And, and he really, you know, even though he was ran a tight ship, he really did let people have some creative freedom in terms of what they did at that restaurant. I think it makes it a better restaurant. And then, you know, uh, Paul, I mean, great guy, won't let me call him chef, so I have to call him uh, Paul, but uh, great guy who's uh, definitely, you know, I, he's he's been in the press a lot lately because, and deservedly so, because they have a new restaurant, Nico, and, you know, he got the James Beard thing, and, you know, he's so, and there's all these articles about how, you know, he won't do these, you know, TV shows and doesn't really want to be, and that's just because, you know, Paul's 
pretty, he's driven and also incredibly focused and in his restaurants too. Well, he was on Top Chef at one point. Yeah, I but remember. like it was I kind of an awkward showing. Though. Yeah, and I, I believe it because he probably got to held at gunpoint to do it or something. So, well, there's this guy who used frozen scallops, and then there was this weird thing about it. It was yeah. like in one of the earlier seasons. Yeah, they, it was an interesting encounter. Actually, it was one of the more real parts of Top Chef ever, where okay. Paul Kahn said, "Like, you know, I'll take the hit that you found frozen scallops on my walk-in, but." Your dish still sucked. Okay, <laughs> it was a pretty real guy. It yeah, was, it was actually uh, pretty cool. I mean, he came across as a real person. He he definitely is, and that you know he's as I said, he's always at all of his restaurants. Which sometimes when you get into that world where you have so many restaurants and you become uh, you know kind of a, a celebrity in in your world, you you see that the chefs often aren't not that they're not involved still, but then that they're not in the restaurant very often. So he definitely is. I mean, he's in Chicago, you know, hanging out with his wife Mary a lot. And they they still shop, you know, this is the thing. They still shop at my store. And he doesn't need to shop at my store. He could probably get some wine from some of his his own restaurants. But that's, I mean, that's an amazing credit right there. I mean, what a what a great supporter right there. So I can't say enough good things about him and and about all their crew too. I'm still still friends with. I just did helped a, a friend Brian Houston open a restaurant Boltwood. I helped with the wine list there. So uh, he was the chef de cuisine at Publican and just moved up to Evanston where he's from. And so still friends with a lot of those guys. And it's 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 been great. So. And how did you get about opening your own store? I mean, I, I believe that the licensing situation is a little difficult in Chicago. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's a reason why there's not a lot of small independent stores in Chicago. And and the reason is uh, the city of Chicago does a lot to make it difficult to get that license. Uh, under the name of zoning, under the name of alcohol is dangerous and bad and all this kind of stuff that, you know, maybe still uh, exists from prohibition back in the day. But, you know, when I opened the store, you know, the way it worked is you would uh, essentially find a space, you'd sign a lease. It w- probably wasn't zoned correctly. There's probably no way it was zoned correctly. And then if it's not zoned correctly, immediately your your license would get kicked back and you go through the zoning board of appeals, uh, and which, you know, you have to get a lawyer or architect and takes three months. And by the way, you still have a lease. And by the way, you also have to build it out. And then you might not get the license. So, you know, it's a it's a big, big, big investment in a business that's, you know, it's relatively a low margin business. So it's hard to recover that money at, you know, if you're putting so much in before you even have the lights on. And so I was lucky because a friend of my mom had said, hey, there was this lady, she's selling her store. Uh, she's in the West Loop. You know, you should go talk to her. And I did. And it took me almost a, a year probably to convince her to, to sell me the store. And so I bought an existing business. And, you know, there you make the sales agreement contingent upon you getting the license and there's no risk. And so it was a really a, a win-win situation for me. And little did I know that the West Loop was going to become as hot as it's become because it really, it's one of in Chicago, I mean, I'd say the West Loop and Logan Square are probably the two places for for restaurants to open right now, you know, really top, top restaurants opening. And so obviously there's a lot of great stuff downtown and other neighborhoods too. I don't want to say anything negative about that, but that's just what's happening in Chicago right now is the West Loop is is crazy hot. And around the corner from me, you know, Soho House renovated this large old warehouse building. They're opening and they'll have a couple restaurants there. And there's just a lot on Randolph right there and not too far away is 
Fulton Market, where Publican is and Publican Quality Meats. And down the street, you have Aviary and Next. And, you know, there's just so much going on. You know, I think Google's taking over a huge part of this uh, old building uh, that was a cold storage building on Fulton Market. So it's a very hot neighborhood. And so, yeah, it was, I mean, it turned out to be really great. Now I have, you know, I have customers from everywhere. So not just neighborhood customers, but I have customers out of state, you know, all over the United States, just people that somehow I meet, you know, whether they see me on social media or whether, you know, they hear from a friend, they sign up for the newsletter because I have a newsletter because I send out email, uh, emails just once a week on Fridays. Uh, You know, I don't do too many blasts. And so people just, you know, see that and order from me and I'll ship. And then I also have people come out from all over the Midwest who have customers in the Indiana and Michigan and Wisconsin. And the West Loop centrally located. That is ultimately why I chose that space was because it's right off the expressway and it's right near the loop, which, you know, you have lots and, you know, over a million people working every day. So that was the reason was I always felt like I was going to be a destination store. And I wanted my customers to have access from all over Chicago. So that's uh, essentially why I, I did say yes to that one situation, aside from the fact that it was a great opportunity for me to do it at a very low risk. What's the Chicago wine customer at retail like? You know, I think... You have a really wide range. I mean, I think you have a lot of people that love discount retail and love big box stores because, you know, they you know, they, they need convenience. You know, big box stores a lot of times will have parking lots, so they like that convenience. I have a, a loading zone and then there's parking on the street. But, you know, that's one thing. And then, of course, there's – I think there's still – and I'll talk about this more, but I think there's still a lot of room for, you know, younger people to get into wine more here because it's a big cocktail and beer town too. So, you know, but my customers are are people essentially that just, they meet me somehow, they want to be taken care of, they want to know that they're getting a really curated selection. Uh, they are willing to come, obviously, from other other places and spend some time traveling. You know, a lot of my customers are the same customers that are the foodies of of Chicago too, right? They go to all, you know, they're out in that's you know they're out all the time going to restaurants and BYOBs, and you know I get a lot of people that come into the store who are going to some of the well known BYOBs in Chicago, like Schwa or Forty Two Grams or L Ideas or Goosefoot, and uh, they'll come and they'll bring the menu and they'll ask me to pair it for them. And so that's that's a great thing. But yeah, my customers are just people that, everything from people that are super, super knowledgeable. I mean, I'm amazed sometimes at the, the knowledge and the interest level of my customers, the amount that they read and they also travel. And then I also have people that are just starting out, you know, younger people, you know, I'm relatively young. I just turned 39, but relatively young. And, uh, you know, that's been kind of the most important thing for me is just getting younger people to come to the store because I try not to be snooty about it. I try to have fun with it. It's wine. We should have fun. And, you know, just trying to get people. And I do, you know, a a lot of value stuff. So of course I have, you know, blue chip stuff, a lot of stuff that's, uh, you know, super hard to get. Yes, absolutely. But I also have a lot of stuff that's $10 to $15 a bottle, 10 to 20, usually that sweet spot. And so 
it gives a, an entry point to younger people who are, you know, just starting out in wine, who don't want to go for it all the way and buy that $50, $100, $200 bottle. And so I think that's one thing that I'm most proud of about my store is that I have those younger customers and that I'm introducing them to wine in the right way because, uh, you know, the wrong way is what I see in a lot of supermarkets and big box stores. You know, I learned wine by starting with great wine first, okay? You know, you need to have those those kind of, those markers, right? So you'd have to know, you know, if you're having a La Crema Morta Alba from the market, if you've had, you know, 10 different ones, which you probably haven't because there's probably not that much in, in our in our market, but, yeah, that, would but be. <laughs> that would be rare. But if you, if you have that and you have the top, top one, then you know where the others are, are, are lacking. And so, you know, that's what's what's great for me is just that I have these newer customers, newer newer people to wine that are are just getting started and interested, and and uh, I feel like I'm I'm helping them out by uh, really trying to start them with the best of the best of their respective region, and no matter what price point, it could be ten dollars, could be twenty dollars, could be a hundred dollars, doesn't matter, as long as for me, it, you know, it represents really what I feel is kind of the best of the best in that particular category. But it, you're feeling like some of these younger and maybe even older people are, there's competition for their attention from spirits and from beer. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's the big thing. And, you know, listen, Chicago and, and the beer business in general, if you look at the numbers of the beer business, it's, it makes wine pale in, in comparison. Uh, and pale this, ale. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> and the spirits thing, you know, we have lots of um, you know, focus on... on uh, the, the word mixologists and and uh, people that that are doing some great craft cocktails, and all that seems a lot more accessible to the youth. I think you know it doesn't seem so crazy distant as me you know starting to talk about you know like a weird wine like I mentioned from the market, and so that's going to be the battle: is how do we get, how do we make it more accessible? How do we make it fun? And how do we you know? And and I like a cocktail. I like beer, but when I watch sometimes in restaurants, people drink like a gin and tonic throughout their meal, I, I want to shoot myself because, you know, it's just, it doesn't match with the menu. It just doesn't. And, you know, it's part of the art of good living. I mean, that's kind of what we're trying to lead by example. Okay. You know, have that great cocktail, right? Have it, you know, as a, during aperitivo time or, or whatever, have, have that beer and beer obviously is much more flexible at the, at the table. And you can do that throughout a dinner, but you know, obviously my focus is wine. And so I'm always gonna, you know, ring the bell and, 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 you know, uh, get the bullhorn out when it comes to, uh, you know, getting more people to drink wine and, and, uh, you know, love wine and understand kind of how it can really enrich your life, both from a, a culinary standpoint and also from a travel standpoint. I try to get all my customers to, hey, go, go out, obviously, to California, go to Oregon, uh, but travel elsewhere, you know, go to Piedmont, you know, go, there's, there's, go to Spain. There's all these great places where you can go. And uh, that really, because that's how I got started, right? It was that trip that really got me started a long time ago. So that's kind of what how I want to get, you know, my young customers started is tell them to go to a wine region and stuff like that. But yeah, I think in Chicago, there's a huge focus. You look in, in restaurants and 
you know, there's a huge focus on beer and cocktails and not as much uh, on wine. This is one big thing for me is that, you know, I, I, I know the people, the sommeliers in the business, there's not a lot of them. And there's not a ton of jobs out there that pay a, a livable wage that also provide an environment where, you know, they can grow and get older and have family and have kids and have a real life and all that kind of stuff. And that's, I think, the thing that's, you know, most lacking is that I would say to a lot of restaurant owners in Chicago, if you do that, invest in someone, make them part of it and uh, help them grow, then you're going to get you're going to get your money back for sure. I guarantee you. Because, you know, there's programs in Chicago, wine programs in Chicago that, that can do a million or two million in, in wine a year. And their their revenue that they generate off that is, qu- is quite significant. And yet they, they might have, they might not have a wine person or they might have the manager do it, or they might, you know, pay somebody, you know, $35,000, $40,000 to do it. But that's crazy to me. We need more people. We need more jobs in the restaurant business in Chicago that are that are, you know, livable jobs that they can grow in. And I think we're lacking a little bit in our wine list in Chicago. I really do. I think that there's a lot of room to grow. The the food thing, we have great chefs here, but I would love to see I would love to see more restaurants, restaurant groups take that next step. And, and really create a job, a good job for people and have them take over the, the beverage program, the wine program, because people are willing to do it with mixology. I mean, you know, with cocktail people, you always see that, but not as much with wine people in Chicago. And where do you think that the sommelier culture has stalled a little bit? I mean, where are some of the places that it could be doing better in Chicago? What are what are aspects of it? I mean, you've already made it clear that that environment of a living wage that, you know, in decent hours, but what are things you look in at the culture and say, well, maybe that part of it could be a little better? Obviously, restaurant business is super difficult business, okay? I'm not a restaurant owner, so I'm not an expert. So everybody that's listening, there are restaurant owners that are thinking in the back of the head, how would he know? But what I, what I can say is that what's your, how do you decide what your list is going to be, okay? If, I will never criticize a wine list ever, if it's somebody's personal opinion and taste, because there's nothing you can't, you know, bash somebody's palate. I mean, I'm not that 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 crazy where I, I think, you know, you can say, oh, he has a terrible palate. You know, that list is terrible. If that is from his point of, or her point of view, right? Then I'm cool with that. But that's not the way that it works in Chicago. In Chicago, there's plenty of of uh, restaurateurs that that sell out based on relationships or based on deals that they're getting, you know, some backdoor stuff. And, you know, that happens in this city. And that is wrong. It's just wrong. I mean, you know, it's wrong. You know, even if you're successful, even if you're putting out good food, if that's your motivation, I, I just think that's wrong. Because I can tell you, there's ways to do it that will still make you that money, the same amount of money, but you can do it the right way. I mean, if you're really, you know, we're getting the James Beard Award here next year, which is super exciting for our city. I mean, really exciting. But if we're really going to fly the flag and say Chicago's this amazing scene, 
step up. Let's, 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 let's see, you know, what your motivations are behind what you're doing at your, at your restaurant for your wine list. Get a better, get a better list. I'm not bashing anybody for their margins or anything like that. That's fine. Charge whatever you want. You know, the consumer will decide if it's too much. They'll stop going. You'll quickly know. But just invest in that. That's, that's all I'm saying. I mean, if we really want to be this great, great restaurant city and great wine city, then we've we've got to do that. You know, we've got to have, you know, listen, there's a huge like gourmet Chicago thing that they have every year. And it's, you know, and I know to run something of that scale, it has to be sponsored by a big distributor or whatever. And it is. It's unfortunate. It really is. You know, to have that stage and to just let it be sold out like that. It's just kind of unfortunate. And I understand the logistics and the, the the financial aspect of it. But my opinion as somebody that loves wine, loves good wine, loves to support winemakers, loves to see, uh, you know, kind of, you know, wine put its best foot forward. I, I don't like seeing that. Have you seen the attitude towards wine in Chicago vary with the economic climate? Y- yes and no. I mean... Uh, I've seen more, you know, in terms of like the the restaurant part of that, you know, of course, there's a lot more casual restaurants in Chicago. We've seen a scale back in terms of fine, fine dining. But, you know, no, I don't think it's really I think I think Chicago's I mean, we're this is a great city for for business. You know, it's a growing city. Uh, so, no, I don't I don't think I mean, you know, I opened my store September 2007. So almost seven years ago, you know, right before things went kaboom. And, you know, I, I people still drink. <laughs> That's the good thing. So, But you had a very slim inventory model. Absolutely. And then the economy tanked and you just weren't sitting on that much stock. Yeah, and absolutely. It seems like that turned out to be really prescient on your point of view. Yeah, I mean, that that's part of the thing. I mean, obviously, the economy is going to fluctuate a little bit, and, and there are people that are going to scale back a little bit. And I had customers that, of course, lost their jobs, and and uh, they were not buying $50 bottles. They were buying $10 bottles. And yeah, so you see a, a little bit of that for sure. So, But I don't think, you know, I think if you if you really load up with wine, you know, yes, you're always going to have problems. But if you're good at kind of managing what you do in your inventory and stuff like that, then I think you can get through any situation, you know, okay. I mean, on the distribution level, what distributors wound up doing with a lot of that wine that was expensive was, you know, obviously at somewhat of a loss, but they made it go away. I mean, you could go to a restaurant and say, hey, here's a glass pour for you. Not might not normally get something like this on this deal, but I think you can adjust. I mean, I think it's it's definitely possible to adjust with that. So, What's the pricing situation like in Chicago? Because, you know, in New York, you have to post by the month. Mm-hmm. Everyone's got to get the same price. Mm-hmm. Is it the same in Chicago? Theoretically, yes. Yeah, I mean, theoretically, I mean, there's uh, there's volume discounting for one, you know, three, five, ten, whatever uh, quantity of, of cases. But yeah, I mean, I think that there's always some ways around that and loopholes around that. So distributors will say they give the same price to everyone. In actuality, they don't necessarily. But, um, you know, I, I think pricing here is, you know, we have really good retail prices here. I mean, if you shop in Chicago, 
we have really good retail prices here. And um, is that know, because the market doesn't want to pay a lot of money? Like, is that because the consumer kind of has a ceiling on what they want to pay? Or? I think it's because there's you know over a hundred distributors. I, I think there's so much competition on the distribution end that if you know. Yeah, maybe if you have something that everybody wants, then you you can do whatever you want with it. But for the most part, most most people, you know, the point is to sell this. You know, if the point is to to make it go. So no, I think I think we have just and and have always had kind of aggressive pricing. You know, I mean, yeah, I think that that's really the reason reason why is is more just the competition on the the distribution side. So seems like some of the key insights for. Your store was figuring out a way to open, mm-hmm. you know, not having to deal with the zoning, not having to deal with the the speculative build out and the speculative lease without knowing if you're going to have a license. Mm-hmm. So inheriting an existing license, slim inventory model that didn't require a ton of outlay, and at the same time played into a very customer service model sure. of saying like, hey, I'm ready to order what you'd like to order. I'm, I'm respecting your palate. I'd like to hear from you. If you want that, I'll order for you. Right. We'll have it tomorrow. Right. And then at the same time, another aspect of that is going DI and finding things and sort of an outgrowth of what you talked about before, which was you like to take the trips, you like to meet the producers, and now you're bringing back things direct to the store that aren't going through so many other channels and you're able to offer them for a little less. Right. Yeah. I mean, they, they are still because I, you know, I have to like everybody else play by the rules. So they are going through a distribution channel and and distributors do make a, a margin on it. It's just a lot lower than normal and I'm buying it all. So there's never any issue with, with that. Um, but yeah, I have, that's something that I've been doing now for you know four or five years and it's been really great for me i mean i think this year i'll have maybe 18 19 20 producers that i work with uh in that kind of direct manner mainly in uh, france uh spain a little in italy and now portugal quite a bit because portugal i just started doing a lot of work with because of a friend's restaurant who i do the wine list for called fat rice in chicago great restaurant it's based on the food of macau and so it was a portuguese colony so the chef uh, chef conlon wanted to have uh, a mostly you know uh, Portuguese menu, so it's Iberian, so it's Portuguese with a, l- a little bit of Spanish. And so I said to him, I'm happy to help with the list, but here's the problem. I mean, what what are we going to, this is, you know, a couple years ago, what are we going to put in there? What are the small producers? I mean, are we going to just do all Duro for, you know, the inexpensive Duro reds from, you know, people like Wars who make, you know, good, good inexpensive reds, or are we going to actually see what's going on there? And so I went over, it was him and Adrian Lowe, they're the partners in, in the in the business. And uh, we went over to Portugal for a couple weeks and visited a bunch of producers and, uh, you know, wound up, uh, you know, working with the five. So, which is great. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing. Like how, as a buyer, I mean, how do you buy, you know, do you sit and wait for distributors to come with you with their work with that they're always with, with winemakers in town and just taste that? Or do you actively engage and say, let me, let's see what you have, you know, let's, Let's really try to find the right things. And then you even take a bigger interest and say, okay, now what's going on in the entire world? And what what can we really see and find here? And that's the thing. I 
have always, because I, I love it so much and I'm so interested in it, just taken that kind of big world approach. And so I don't just settle for, for those kind of things. I mean, it's a lot, it's, you know, it's a lot of output for me, right? I pay for my trip. You know, I don't go on sponsored trips or anything like that. So I pay for my trips and, and they're expensive. And, uh, but, you know, for me, it's all worth it. I mean, you know, it's, it's worth it. And I think it's actually necessary now. It's almost necessary as a retailer to have these relationships with producers to really understand what's going on. And also sometimes to really just keep your allocations going and things like that. I mean, it's, it's really important. And, and, you know, it's, it's not that last reason why it's number one for me, but I think it's, it's uh, part of the, you know, reaction of it. And, but I, I really think that, you know, to keep me engaged and to keep me growing in my knowledge, I need to take those trips. And, you know, when I was 25, I thought I knew about wine. When I'm 30, I kind of thought I knew about wine. And, you know, now 39 and you're always learning. And that's what I love about the business is that, you know, you're always learning. So, I mean, I don't know anybody, whether they're MS, MW, whatever, that knows everything about wine. When I find somebody that does, that that will be an interesting day. So... What's next for you? I probably will wind up involved somewhat in restaurants again someday. Um, it's you know keeps pulling you keeps pulling you back. Uh, I would never open up another Perman Wine Selections in another location. I don't think because I wouldn't be there to to work the store. So it doesn't become a Perman Wine Selections. It becomes a somebody else's wine selections. So I don't think I would do that. Um, you know, I'm always just, uh, I'm always listening to opportunities, but for right now, I'm really happy with my store, love the store. And I think, you know, maybe something restaurant wise, cause I think I have a lot to, to add in terms of, you know, the approach to wine, g- given that I think that there is still a lot of, the, of room to grow in our industry in the, in the restaurant sector for, for wine lists. So yeah, maybe something on the, on those lines and, you know, maybe I'd do another store someday somewhere, but I don't I don't think it would be a permanent wine selections. I don't think it would be the same exact feel, but maybe something slightly off that. So Craig Perman, he's taken a big world approach to a small scale store in Chicago. Thank you very much for being here today. Listen, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Craig Perman of Perman Wine Selections in Chicago. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Skella has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.